Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it fast. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJap with two N's and I write for EPL Index. Hi, I'm Koss. I'm on Twitter at Koss underscore Ponder 17. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley and I'm on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. Fantastic. Thanks to you all for joining us on what is this uh, debut episode of our sixth season here at EPO Roundtable. So very excited to have all of you on as we anticipate the 2019-20 season. Obviously, there's been a lot of buildup in the summer already with all of the preseason friendlies all over the globe. But obviously, the thing that most fans are, are so excited about right now is the transfer window. There's just about a week left. So I'm curious to hear from you guys as we kind of wrap up the summer before we head into the season. What do you think have been some of the best and worst buys in the Premier League thus far this summer? Yeah, it's quite a difficult one, and especially on worst buys. Um, it's difficult to judge that at this point. I think the most eye-catching signings for me have probably been uh, Ndombele going to Spurs. I think he adds a lot to the midfield that was lacking there last season. It was probably one of the weaker possessions, especially after Dembele left halfway. So I think that's a a huge shine. It gives you so many possibilities there, Kev. So I'm sure, sure you're excited about that one. And I think that's a, a really, really good signing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one that probably shows the effect of Spurs getting to the Champions League final that they've managed to get him in. Because I know a lot of big clubs have been following him for a long time. So that was quite a, a coup for Tottenham. So that's probably the one in the top six that stands out the most for me. Uh, lower down, I think there's been some good ones as well. Um, I think Haller for, for West Ham is a really, really good signing. Um Again, he scored a lot of goals in the Bundesliga last year. Um, was rumoured to to have interest from from bigger clubs than West Ham, so that's a coup. And as as we know with West Ham, they've had a lot of problems with strikers, so it it, it was a position they really needed to get right. And, and I'd be surprised if if Haller was a flop as as much as others have been. Um, not to say he won't be. It could be something to do with that club, and he might not work out. But I'm sure he will. And I think he he's looked good in the preseason, and he'll probably add the goals that they lacked last season. And it probably will mean that Arnautovic is not missed there. Um, and, and then obviously the the third one that, that's worth mentioning, uh, confirmed today, is Moisey Keane going to uh, Everton. Mass. That is a huge huge deal for them. Um, shows that. They can attract massively talented players. This guy's 19 and, and already producing uh, to a very, very high output in terms of stats and, and XG and, and everything he does on the pitch. He does look to be like a, a tier one talent, somebody that could go on to the very top of the game. It's surprising Juventus have let him go. That's probably a, a counterproduct of, of the deal to bring in Ronaldo that they need to, to ship out these um a couple of forwards. And he was one of the ones that they could get a lot of money for. And, and his contract... 
situation wasn't the best either. I think he had one year left, so they've got a big free from. But I think for Everton, that is a huge deal for them. I think it probably brings in the forward that they've been lacking last year. Um, Calvert-Lewin did okay there, but I don't think he's a, a, a top six player. And if that, that's their ambition to break into that top six, they needed to, to improve. And obviously Tosin didn't really work out. So I think that Keane could be sort of their best striker since Lukaku uh, and definitely strengthens a weak area. So I think those three are the, the ones that stand out for me. Uh, in terms of weak, uh, bad signings, the ones that stand out that maybe might not work out, there aren't many really. Um, I think not because of the, the calibre of player is uh, he is, but just because of who he's replacing, I think. Um, probably pronounced his name wrong, but Barbin, uh, who signed for uh, Everton um, to replace... Uh, address a guy. I don't think it's the stylistically he's the best replacement, and it'll be interesting to see if he does work out there. Massive risk might suggest they're going to try and change their style a little bit, so that'll be interesting. Um, and another one is uh, Aston Villa. I don't think that um, Wesley is a very good player, really, from what I've seen of him um, coming in to replace Tammy Abraham, and I think that's probably a downgrade, um, really. So they spent a lot of money on him. Uh, and to to get weaker in a position after promotion is a, a little bit of a worry for me. So yeah, I think that yeah, he, he, there are question marks about him, and I think they probably should have spent money elsewhere on a striker. I think the obvious ones are certainly there. And Dombele, Rodri is obviously a pretty good one. When he was playing today, it almost seemed as though he's been playing under Guardiola at City for the last fifteen years or something. Mm. And there's obviously Van Bissaka and Maguire is almost as good as done. Both of them will will be pretty massive for United going forward, not just because of the players they are, and also because of what United needed, considering the fact that we were pretty poor defensively for the last two or three seasons. But apart from these obvious ones, I think, as Jake just pointed out, Sebastian Haller is probably the best out of all of them. Because for me, Haller is just one of those players who can play for any top club, be it a club like PSG, Juventus, and Barcelona, or Real Madrid as well. I think he is a bit like Karim Benzema. He's he's a sort of striker who can play with Cristiano Ronaldo and complement him very well and then make sure that Ronaldo scores more goals. It's pretty unselfish. And I think he wanted him uh, as a backup to Harry Kane, I think, two or three years ago, back when he was at uh, Utrecht. And, and I think he's pretty similar to Harry Kane because Kane, I think, is similar to Benzema again. Mm. But during his... During his days back in the Netherlands, he was pretty, a typical target man, a lot like our very own Andy Carroll and the Peter Crouches. And but I think from last season onwards, I think he matured into a very good player. He evolved as a player. He became a much more complete striker than he, he's ever been. He knows how to drop deep and allow the others into play, and and he can create. He can dribble. He can hold up the ball. He, combines really well with the players around him. And I think that's the sort of striker that West Ham really needs, considering that Anatovic has left for China. And Anatovic was a lot like how Haller is, apart from the fact that Haller is an upgrade on him. He he was almost like a striker who can play and who drops deep and does just about everything. And Haller is someone who will improve West Ham a lot and he'll get them more goals than Arnautovic probably would have ever done. And he will make them a very cohesive unit going forward. 
he'll get goals and create for both Philippe Anderson and Yamalenko. And speaking of improving the other players, I think he'll also uh, have a big role to get Pablo Fornals do very well because he he is pretty much like Santi Cazola was, but he plays just closer to the striker than Cazola did. And playing around Haller will help Fornals a lot. And he is, he really likes to find spaces behind the strikers. And he and along apart from Haller, Fornals will will be a massive signing for West Ham. And then I think. One signing that's gone pretty much under the radar, it's, I think, Joseph Bermich. Uh, he signed for Norwich. And not just because of what sort of player he is, but because it's Daniel Farker who's recruited him from, where's he come from? I think Gladbach or where? I'm not sure. I think he's from Gladbach. He's done, he's done well in the Bundesliga, but he sometimes doesn't get the credit he deserves, I think. But... Uh, Farker knows how to recruit talent from Germany and Dermich is one of those players who was apparently following pretty closely. And then I think he scored a hat-trick against Luton Town recently in a recent friendly. So yeah, he is going to be a very crucial signing because also because uh, Farker has discovered the likes of Timo Pocchi and Mario Rancic and he's almost resurrected their careers. And I think then we've got uh, Leandro Trossa for Brighton. He's probably, mm-hmm. again, a very intelligent signing for them. Because as far as I think, Brighton have sort of lacked a proper winger. Uh, like someone who can play wide and create and score for them. Iskiero didn't really yeah, work out. They try with Jahan Baksh, yeah. Yeah, Jahan Baksh hasn't really worked out and Anthony Knockout is pretty much useless sometimes. But Trossard is someone who likes to cut in and he scores a lot. He likes to, he's a, he's a very, very technically gifted player and he's a flair, a flair player as well. He'll be pretty big and I think Adam Webster as well because he's, he was one of the uh, best players in the championship last season. He helped Bristol City finish eighth, was it, I think? And he, I think as far as I think, uh, Lewis Dunk is probably off to Leicester to replace uh, Harry Maguire. And he's got a uh, very good slot to fill, and he fits right in there. And and the rest of ones, as I said, are pretty obvious: the Andombeles, the Rodri's, and Van der Sarkas. Yeah, I think uh, Rodri's a really interesting one, actually. Obviously, both guys mentioned him, but I think it's it's kind of been underplayed what an impact he's going to have on City. This is the guy who ran games for Atletico Madrid in La Liga at 21 years old. Um, so I think it's going to be seamless. He's a very Guardiola-type player. Um, and he'll also address City's major weakness last season, I think, was that they didn't really have cover for Fernandinho in defensive midfield. And Rodri's the sort of player who can fill that role easily. So I think um, City's strength over the, the last couple of years has been, yes, they've got all that money, but they've spent it brilliantly because they've targeted where the weaknesses are, where there's a need for investment. And they've just gone out and bought the best player that they can afford. And Rodri's going to be absolutely seamless. And a key reason in why I think City are probably going to go on and win the league again. Um, a couple aside from players who've already been mentioned, I, I totally agree with uh, Keane at Everton and Fournells at West Ham. They were two of the ones on my list. Um 
couple of players who were in the Premier League last season alone, I think, were in really good signings on permanent basis. Leicester, again, I think Tielemans is going to be a fantastic player for them. Yeah. If Leicester want to push on and be sort of top six, he's the sort of guy who can really elevate them. He was linked with Manchester United and clearly felt that Leicester was a sort of upwardly mobile club that can take him to that level. So I think they've done really well to get him. Um, even if it might only be a couple of years until he's moving on to another club. And I think Everton, again, signing Andre Gomez, um, very good price for a player who didn't work out for him at Barcelona and he was very open about the impact that it had on his mental health and things like that. But he seemed to slot in really well at Everton. And like Leicester, they're a club that are going to be trying to push on and get in the top six this season. And Gomez is the sort of player that can probably do that. Um I think Delph as well, Everton's really good value signing. They seem to have done good sort of bargain type deals. There's some which is different to maybe the last few years where they've spent a lot of money on players like Sigurdsson who haven't maybe justified those fees. But in terms of players who maybe don't justify the money, sorry, Jake, but I think Joe Ellington is going to be the flop of the season. It's an awful lot of money for a striker who doesn't really score goals. Um, Newcastle also trying to replace Rondon and Perez this summer with a striker whose record is, what, one in four in the Bundesliga. He didn't even score that many goals in weaker leagues earlier in his career. So I think it's a huge, huge gamble uh, for a player with no Premier League experience either. I think Newcastle possibly going to struggle as a result. Um, I think another factor that we haven't really touched on is just not spending at all. I'm really, really surprised mm. to see Liverpool do next to no business this summer. They've obviously signed Harvey Elliott from Fulham and the lad Vandenberg, who's come in from the Eredivisie, but they're probably not going to play that much of a part this season. Yes, they've got players coming back from injury who didn't really play that much last season. You've got Gomez, Lallana, Oslo Chamberlain, even Brewster. But I think if they wanted to keep up with City, this was the summer where they really needed to make a statement or two. Had they bought someone like... Nicolas Pepe, who's instead gone to Arsenal for what is a lot of money, but I think he'll be a very good addition to the Premier League. I think they could have maybe moved forward again. They've got a young team and they should get better, but they haven't strengthened, and I think they really needed to do that this year. Yeah, Liverpool not doing the business has been really interesting because you'd expect that they would have tried to catch up with City, but then to be fair, City did just make the one signing, but Jamie, I do think you, you, you and everyone else have hit the nail on the head of his importance in terms of how many points were dropped when Fernandinho wasn't there. And now there isn't that huge drop-off um, without Fernandinho in the side. With all of these transfers in mind, let's do a little bit of 2019-20 uh, season previews and predictions. Uh, so we'll kind of do the standard set. Who do you think will win the title? Who do you think will finish top four? And who do you think will be relegated come the end of the season? We'll start with you, Jake. Yeah, I think the I think everyone's going to agree on the top three because they they pretty much picked themselves, and I think City will win the league again. Um, obviously, they've strengthened and and they were already incredible last season. They've shown that they can maintain that intensity over over two years. Obviously, it's difficult to retain the league, but they've already shown they can do that. Um, and yeah, they've just got the strength throughout the squad, and they've got Guardiola, so they're going to win the league. I'd be surprised if Liverpool came close uh, as close as they did last year, although they did look quite good today in the community shield but not that, that that really means a lot i think that as the season progresses they're probably going to regret not bringing in one or two players just to add a little bit of depth especially considering mané salah and Firmino have all been on international duty over the summer so they've got that 
those extra miles in the legs and haven't had the rest that they perhaps would have wanted. Um, I'd probably say Tottenham to finish third is is probably nailed on as well. Um, maybe even second if it all clicks. Uh, and Liverpool have a, a few more struggles than last season. Although I probably wouldn't predict that. I think it's going to be those two, uh, those three, one, two, three, City, uh, Liverpool, then Spurs, and then fourth becomes interesting because. I don't think any of them jump out as, as obvious candidates to finish fourth. I think Arsenal are the ones you'd give it to. Um, they've done a bit of business this uh, summer. They might sign Kieran Tierney, who I think would be a good signing to strengthen their defence, but their absolute reluctance to sign a centre-back is odd, um, considering it's their weakest area. Uh, and a team can only really be as strong as their weakest area. So they're probably going to concede goals again, but they've got that front line of, of Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe and, and they're probably sure that they can score enough to to beat the smaller teams even if they do concede a few more than the rest of that top six. Um, so yeah, I'd probably put them in fourth. Um, that's mainly because of the the lack of a challenge from from Manchester United or Chelsea. Chelsea have obviously got the transfer ban, have lost Eden Hazard. They've got Lampard who did okay at Derby but by all means, he wasn't a perfect championship coach and to bring him in at Chelsea, I, I guess it makes sense because they're trying to lower expectations, but it's a risk. I can't see them competing up there. They might even miss out on the top six. Um, so yeah, and Manchester United, obviously, they're still an absolute car crash of a club, so I can't see them getting into that top four either. Uh, relegated, I think that's uh, a little bit more difficult. Um, I, nobody really stands out as an obvious one to me. I think Sheffield United might be i think that they, they perhaps don't have the quality that the other teams do um so i'd probably say they'll go down although i think it'll be similar to cardiff and that they, they won't be absolutely at the bottom and they will compete i just don't think that they have enough quality um another one to go down i'd probably say villa i think they've they've very much done a fulham uh, and i last season they were already a bit of a mix of a team. They conceded a lot of goals. Um, I think they conceded over 60 goals in the championship and they haven't really done a lot to strengthen that defence. I think Heaton's a good signing, but he can't do it all on his own. So um, I think they're probably going to go back down, although they they have thrown a lot of money at it and, and it could click, unlike Fulham, but I just have doubts about that. And the third one, um, I, I really don't know. I, I'm good. I'm going to go with Brighton. Just because I just, I'm not sure on Potter. Um, I think he's a good manager, but it takes him time to to get going with a club at Swansea. Though they had problems at the start of last season, and it, and it didn't click until the second half of the season. And it might be that he's not even given that time at Brighton if it does start quite badly. Um, and you know, I could if if I was anybody else, I'd predict Newcastle, but I can't really do that. So I'll, I'll go with Brighton. I think it's pretty obvious who's going to win the title and I think everyone's going to agree with that because as we just pointed out that there was just one weak spot in the city side and that was the defensive midfield because uh, when Fernandinho was missing, they lost many points and now since Rodri has been there, it's like they've just become a perfect team all over again and they've got immense depth in there and it's it was pretty clear today. I think uh, uh, Liverpool didn't have Sadio Mane playing for them and they had Origi playing for them. It's no disrespect, but it's nothing in comparison to the depth that City have got. If if there's no Sterling, they'll probably just play Gabriel Jesus signing got injured, and then Jesus came on and played pretty well. And the depth goes a long way in deciding all of this. And and it's and it's pretty obvious that 
from how they were last season and from the 17-18 season. They've just improved because Pep Guardiola is a perfectionist and he'll strive for that. And Liverpool will get second because they not not because they're the best of best of the bunch this time, but because they've sort of improved because because they've probably going to level up. They've as long as the team stays together for as long a time as they can, the team does improve. I believe in that, and they've got Alex Oxley Chamberlain back and Adam Lallana's back. Lallana will probably play a deeper role. I think Jurgen Klopp said that, and he's done that in the friendlies. He's played as a think more as a number six sometimes and that's that that would be pretty big for Liverpool because they've sometimes lacked goals goals from midfield although against Barcelona and towards the end of the season Van Alden was pretty brilliant for them but not on a consistent basis even though he's a workhorse Lalana will bring goals from midfield and that's one place where they well they'll improve even though they've not added depth to their front three and they will struggle there because even though Rigi has sort of gained confidence from from the from how the previous season ended. He's not good enough for to replace someone like Mane, Salah, or Firmino. And same goes for Shakiri. He's not consistent enough to uh, play as a reliable player for a club like Liverpool, who are challenging for the title. And then Spurs, obviously third. And even though I still think there's still a lack of depth there, I think they'll probably end up signing Ryan Sessegnon and. Giovanni Lo Celso towards the end of the window. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think I, th- I think so. I think they'll find them because I think Spurs are just trying to make sure that they get the uh, price tied for Lo Celso to about sixty-five or something. We'll probably get him, but I think they'll finish third pretty easily and will push for second and might as well finish second because there is a team which has the foundation to probably go on and win the title. Considering City fall off sometime, but. They've they've got a team that plays football at, and have an identity, and they've grown in stature over the past few years. Even though they finished fourth, I don't I don't think they are a team that should finish fourth. Even looking at how they played last season, there has been an increase in the depth that they have, but they don't have still lack. They still sort of lack a player or two to give a proper shot at the at the Premier League title. And then fourth, which is again, the trickiest one out of the lot. Um, I think United will get it. Not because I'm a United fan, but because I think Arsenal, I think they've sort of pushed away, got away from Kieran Tenney because he's, I think he's injured for a couple of months. He's got a groin injury. And they're now trying for Daniel Irogani and I, and I don't really hate him. I kind of hate Daniel Irogani. And they're trying to sign him on a two-year loan deal. When they've got better defenders than him, I think Rob Holding can do a better job than Tugani. And if Arsenal do not get a centre-back, and, and then I think they'll really struggle for top four, even though they've signed the likes of Danny Ceballos and Pepe. The problem for them has always been at the back. The, uh, Hector Bellerin is, has never been the best defensively. They've got just one properly recognised centre-back in Socrates, but he is not getting any younger and he'll probably not have as good a season this season as he had as, as how good he was last season because he's I think he's 30 around 30 and Laurent Koscielny is probably off to from back to France and if Arsenal don't get a centre back they're not getting they, they won't get top 4 and since United have got Juan Bissaka and Maguire United will get top 4 even though we still need a midfielder who 
sort of plays through the plays threaded passes through the opposition defenses. We will get top four. I think it will be close, but United will end up getting it. And then for relegation, it's the toughest one. But I don't want any team to get relegated because I like Sheffield, Norwich, both of them. But I don't think Sheffield have enough to stay up. They've not improved as much as they would have wanted to establish themselves as a Premier League team. They've they've sort of signed players who are just a level below the Premier League level. And then even though even though Chris Wilder is a brilliant manager, I really like him the way his journey has been through through the divisions in the non-league and then League One and League Two and then the championship. There's not enough in there to keep them up. And Ollie McBurney was pretty good for Swansea last season. And but I don't think he will do as good a job and Billy Sharp is no Premier League expert. But and it, and I'll be sad if they go down. I really like their side. And even Norwich, I think, will go down. They'll finish second bottom. They probably will fade away once their early um, spark goes away towards February or something. Because it, they remind me a lot of Huddersfield, obviously because of the German connection there and the way they recruit the German players and the German manager. And if they don't go down this season, then they'll probably go down next season. They've always been that yo-yo club who stay, come back to the Premier League and then go straight back down or stay up for a season and then go back down again. And the third one, I think I sort of consider Newcastle and Brighton, but I think Crystal Palace will go down because I think they've lost Van Bissaka. Oh, wow. He was... I think they've uh, they will really miss him. They've not signed someone to who can replace the influence that they had. He, I think, he made a lot of tackles, won a lot of uh, made a lot of interceptions, and was pretty good going forward. But a lot of spark there when taking on defenders. He was never dribbled past anyone. I've sort of got an expert expertise on him since he's ours now. So <laughs> he was dribbled past only once, and that was by Leroy Sane in that in the in the game that Crystal Palace won at, at the Etihad. And, but, and they've still not signed a striker who can... Although they've signed Jordan Ayew, I don't see him as someone who who is an out-and-out striker who, who can get them 15 goals a season and save them from relegation. And Wilfred Zaha has been a trump card for them, but I think he's had his head turned and he won't be as good as he was. And even though Roy Hodgson knows how to survive the Premier League, he has the know-how, but... They've lost a lot of balance since Van de Saka went away. Definitely interesting shout there. Jamie? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be contrary, but it's difficult to argue with uh, the predictions that the two lads have made already. I think they're, they're fairly obvious decisions to come to, but uh, I'd be very surprised if City don't win the league. I think Liverpool did incredibly well to push them so hard last season. But I think City will probably be stronger again. It wouldn't surprise me if they did 100 points again. Um, the only thing that I think could derail them is if they get distracted by Europe. Um, obviously, the Champions League is the thing that they haven't won yet. But Pep's already said he'd rather have all the domestic trophies than the Champions League. So um, I think there's a risk that that happens towards the end of the season when the Champions League knockout games come around. But I think they will be too strong and I think Liverpool will drop off a bit just because they've not added quality to the squad despite the players that they've got coming back. Um, I think Spurs look a solid bet for third as well. 
Um, I think the only issue there is still cover for Harry Kane. If Kane's injured for any length mm. of time, and we've obviously seen the last couple of seasons, he seems to pick up these ankle injuries fairly regularly. So if he had one of those and was out for six, eight weeks, you look at the Spurs team and you just wonder who's going to fill that gap. So if that happened at a bad time, Spurs could maybe fall away a bit, but it's very difficult to see them not finishing in the top four. Um I think take your pick really for fourth place. I think it will be really close. Um, United, I'm not really sure about. It. I don't really rate Solskjaer to be honest. I still keep thinking, if he wasn't a United legend as a player, would he have been anywhere near that job? No. Um, same for Lampard at Chelsea. If Lampard wasn't a Chelsea legend as a player, would he have got that job? No. Um, so these guys might prove to be top class managers, but at the minute they've done nothing to earn those jobs. Um, apart from play for the teams that they're at. Chelsea are obviously going to find it extremely difficult this season with the transfer ban. They've got to replace Eden Hazard. Um, Lampard, I think he will use the young players a lot better than Sarri did, but he's not half the coach that Sarri is at this stage of his career. I think the job that Sarri did there was hugely underrated. Might have been unpopular with the fans, but they finished third in the league. They beat City. Who else beat City last season? Who won the Europa League? I think um, it's going to be very difficult for them to hit those heights again. So I'm almost leaning towards Arsenal, even though I completely agree with what the guys have said about their defence. It's basically a shambles. I don't rate Burn Leno. I don't particularly rate Unai Emery either. Uh, but that front three, I think Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang, that's got the, the potential to cause real havoc in some matches. So... I think I'm going to tip Arsenal to come fourth, but it could be very, very close indeed. Um, in terms of relegation, I think, like a lot of seasons recently, you could probably look at eight to nine teams and think that they've got a chance of going down. Um, but for me, I think the three clubs coming up this season look quite weak. Um, Norwich, obviously a brilliant team in the Championship last season, but they are committed to this sort of passing football Um and I don't think they're going to get away with it in the Premier League. If they try and play like that, I don't think they're going to be good enough. I think teams will press them, they'll win the ball back, and I don't think their defence is really going to cut it. Um, so I can certainly see Norwich going back down. As has been said already, I think Sheffield United have recruited quite poorly. Broken the transfer record four times, I think it is, but none of them on players that you could see going to any other Premier League club. Um, so I think they've... Probably quite similar to when Burnley first got promoted, that they they don't want to risk too much on transfers. They don't have an awful lot of money to spend anyway, so they're having to be more careful. But it looks to me like they're almost assembling a squad that can be strong in the Championship next season. A player like McBurney, you'd say if they get relegated, will probably score 20 goals and get them back up again. Um, but I don't see him scoring goals in the Premier League this season. I think goals are going to be a massive problem for them. Villa. What Jay said about them being this year's form, I think it's very easy to agree with that. It's it's maybe a bit unfair because it looks like they've put more thought into it. But I think if you have a team that so consistent in the second half of last season like Villa and you effectively replace it with a brand new team, I think it's going to be very difficult for Dean Smith to make that work. Um, they have signed a very good goalkeeper. Obviously, I know Tom Heaton very well from his time at Burnley. I think mm. he'll do a fantastic job for them. But I don't rate the defence in front of them. I think picking a settled team, working out what the best eleven is, this is going to be massive problems for Villa because they've spent so much money on so many players. 
Um, I think it could go either way for them. They could do a Wolves and surprise everyone and finish in the top half, or they could just be terrible, and I'm going to go with them being terrible. Um, so I think those three certainly have a very good chance of going down. And like I said earlier, I think Joe Ellington at Newcastle, he's not the guy that's going to score goals for them. Um, I really like Steve Bruce. I think he's a really solid book, and I'm glad he's got another chance in the Premier League. But I think it's almost the perfect storm at Newcastle now where there's so much unrest from the fans. They've completely had enough of the owner, Mike Ashley. They've spent a bit of money in the last week, but I'm just not sure it's going to happen for them. I've got a funny feeling it might be their year to go down. Interesting. Well, shots fired, Jake, but uh, <laughs> it'll certainly be interesting to see how all of these races shape up towards the end of the season. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, still a week for people to kind of fix some of those holes in the squad or for Villa to add a 12th starter, uh, if they so choose, uh, this week. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, and we are back. Jake, right before the break, I said we were going to be back with club-specific questions for our guests, including you. But we have done so many updates about Newcastle this summer, including one just Friday, that if people are interested in Newcastle, they should go check that out. So instead, if it's all right, I'll kind of have you put on your championship roundtable hat, of course. Uh, you co-host that one for us. And just curious to get your take on the three promoted sides, how they performed last year, and how you think they'll fare in the Premier League this year. Yeah, so it, I think it works out quite well with these three clubs coming up because there's similarities with each of the three clubs that went down. Uh, I think each each three from each one of the Premier clubs does tie in closely to one of those relegated clubs. I think uh, I agree, of course, and what you said about Norwich and Huddersfield. Um, that obviously there's there's a a connection there. Uh, Stuart Webber, being the sporting director previously of Huddersfield, um, he was the one that went out and got uh, Daniel Falk to the club, uh, similar to to the Wagner appointment. So it, there's similarities with with the approaches of the two clubs, uh, and also in transfers, they're going out again, sort of underrated uh, foreign talent to bring in, uh, and obviously selling. Uh, players they already had for for increased prices. Uh, the both of the Murphy twins went out for big money. James Madison's another one. So they were sort of bringing in a lot of money, but then reinvesting that in in foreign talent that w- was maybe a little bit underrated. So I think it, it is fair to say they're similar. All I would say is I think Norwich are a much better team than Huddersfield were when they were coming up. Um, Huddersfield finished the season with a negative goal difference when they got promoted from the championship. Norwich were, were far and above um, just the most complete team in the division, uh, leading 
in XG, I think they, they had the most XG per shot created. Uh, only, in, in defensive, they weren't the best. They conceded a lot of goals, but the shots that they they conceded were sort of, of low XG. So they're very good of limiting their 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 opponents to to low low percentage chances. Uh, and it, it maybe is that they were just a little bit unlucky um, that they conceded as many as they did because I think their defence was actually quite strong. They've got two very talented young English fullbacks who I think will do very well in the division. Max Aarons is the obvious one. He, he offers a lot down the right and he's the more attack-minded of the pair. Uh, they quite often look to to use that right channel more than the left. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that works. I think they will be quite open, but I do think they've got a little bit more talent than than, than Huddersfield. Uh, and I think that Fark is, is shrewd enough to to maybe change his style a little bit when it matters. I think the game against Leeds was a good example of that last season. Uh, Leeds dominated most of the possession, but Norwich created the better chances. They're very good on the counter-attack. Um, the, this team is just very good uh, in transition. They're quick to get up uh, and get, get shots on goal. And I think it might they might be better suited to a counter-attacking style. Uh, it'll be interesting if they do do change that. Because in that game against Leeds, it was... They were very much the underdog, um, and I think that they came out of it very well, and I think that they might look to do that again. The signings they've made, um, I think they're mostly okay, uh, similar to what they've been doing when they're in the championship. I think Patrick Roberts is an interesting one, obviously very talented, came for a Fulham, did quite well at Celtic, went to Man City, um, between that and obviously before the loan to Celtic, and then he went out to, to La Liga last year. Hasn't really quite clicked for him. Um, but he's got loads of talent and it, I think he would really benefit from working in this Norwich system. Uh, they quite like to let their wingers cut in and sort of play in more central areas of the fullback run with. So I think he could be quite there. I think Dermot is a good sign and although injuries have prevented him from, from really playing a lot of football recently. I uh, don't think he's really started more than 10 games in the last few seasons um, in each of them. He's never really started more than 10 in, in, each, in each season. So it might be that he is a risky signing, but he's definitely one with a big upside if, if they get him firing, and they seem to have done that in the preseason, uh, although it is only preseason. Uh, and then you've got Farman, who I think is a huge signing for them and, and shows the connections they have in in the Bundesliga. I don't think he's quite kicked on as he should have done, but he, he's a very good goalkeeper, especially for a promoted club. So I think that they look pretty well set. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, stay up. I think that they're the best set of the three. Uh, Sheffield United, I think a lot of parallels could be made of Cardiff um, obviously they, they've signed a lot of players from the lower leagues um, it seems like they're not fully committing to the to the promotion like Jamie said uh, you've got Luke Freeman coming in from QPR Callum Robinson coming in uh, Ben Osmond from Nottingham Forest and Ollie McBurney is, is the obvious one I think all of those are talented young players that, that could kick on and be Premier League players but it is a gamble and if they did go back down they'd probably all stay and they'd be set to come back up and it could be that slow building process that suits them as a club. Um, obviously got Phil Jagielka coming back to provide some experience. Lise Mousse coming in from Bournemouth, who never really quite did it in the Premier League. Dean Henderson's going back there on loan. I think he was very good last season. Um, he's probably the best young English keeper um, outside the top the top flight anyway. I think he's, he's done really well and it'll be interesting to see him at the Premier League. And then... Raval Morrison obviously coming back, which is a huge gamble, but I think that um, Wilder does like to take a gamble on a player like that, so I think that will be interesting. Last season, they had a really good defence, similar to Cardiff when they came up. Uh, 21 clean sheets, said the, the the shots they conceded were the lowest XG of any club in the league, so shows that they are very good at limiting their, uh, limiting their opposition to, to 
low-rated chances. Played quite an interesting system with three at the back. With uh, sometimes their centre backs overlap to provide the whip, which which is a really strange way of playing, but it worked really well last season with a few goals coming uh, that way. Uh, and they're really good at creating overloads in the pitch. So when the uh, centre backs do go forward, and if they lose the ball, they're very good at pressing and winning it back high up the pitch. It was a very high risk strategy that worked in the Championship. Uh, not sure it will work in the Premier League. Obviously, there's more quality, and it, 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 they will be left open at the back if they do continue to do that um but it'll be interesting if they do because it was really fun to watch i think the biggest um their biggest asset is their set pieces they scored quite a lot from set pieces norwood's very good at them um and they've got defenders that can win balls at set pieces and i think that's gonna be huge for them but yeah i think it is gonna be a stretch for them to stay up but i think they've done the right thing and not totally commit to it and bringing in players that could flourish or if they don't they're going to be very good next season so Think they've done well. Villa are the weird one. Only won 20 games last season. A lot of draws. Uh, conceded more than 60 goals. So it, it was just an odd season for them. Uh, after Christmas, uh, especially after the return of Grealish, it really kicked on. Uh, and they were winning a lot of games. They went on that huge run to get into the playoffs. Um, I think Abraham was key to that, and he's not there this season. I think Mings was very important. Come back on a permanent deal, which I think is important. But... Uh, maybe a little bit overpriced, but he, he will be able to settle straight back in. So I think that was a good signing. And I think um, McGinn there is probably the, the standout player outside of Grealish, and it'll be really fun to watch him. A lot of talent. There's going to be defensive problems for them again this season. I don't think they've they've totally sorted that out. And as Jamie said, it's going to be possible to to put, you know, they've brought in 13 new players. It's going to be very difficult to blend that into a team. But I think um, that, yeah, and, and in that sense, they're very similar to Fulham. I made that comparison earlier. And obviously, when Fulham came up, they came through the playoffs and went on that really good run towards the end of the season. And they also had a very talented playmaker in Kearney um, that the team was built around that maybe that went a little bit off last season. I'm not sure that Grealish will quite be uh, taking out the team like Kearney was. But yeah, I, th- I think it's each club is, is very tied into one that got relegated. Uh, but I think Norwich probably the ones that are best set to stay up. Definitely interesting stuff. Cause coming on to you now. Um, it seems like the Harry Maguire deal is all set to be done. Question marks around the price. I doubt many question marks around the improving of that back line at Manchester United. Uh, a, are you excited about the signing? And B, is signing a center back and then obviously a right back in Wambasaka one of the reasons why you think United could secure one of those top four places when it seems a lot of people externally think that they won't? Yeah, I think it's a yes for both because I think uh, when Virgil van Dijk signed for Liverpool, I think he uh, was good for, I think, a season and a half before he came on when he was Southampton. I think he had one okay season and then sort of kicked on. But Maguire is a sort of player who was at Leicester for, I, I think he was good at Leicester on a consistent basis, although he did have slightly barren spells uh, in the middle of last season, and Leicester fans, I think, criticized him as well. But he is, is, is he, he, I think it's sometimes unfair to come, uh, compare him to Virgil van Dijk, but it's sometimes also inevitable that he, that the situation will get compared to him. As we, Liverpool also needed a centre back at that point, and they were a team who were brilliant going forward with Salah, Firmino, and uh, Mane scoring goals for fun. But then as soon as the ball came back, they, struggled struggle every single time and conceded goals for fun and they struggled every single time Spurs beat them 4-1 and that was probably one of the worst 
games I've ever watched. When it comes to watching Liverpool defend, they were absolutely horrendous in that game. And we've seen flashes of that in the in the way that United sometimes defend last season against West Ham. We were absolutely atrocious in that game. We lost 3-1. But it was, it was not just because we have bad defenders. I mean, not bad defenders. We have got average defenders who can't really play at a club like United and challenge for the top four and maybe go on to challenge for the title. But because we've got no leader in there, we although I love Victor Lindelof and he will be key this season and in the coming upcoming seasons, but we never really had a leader in there who could march, uh, who could order the others to stay in that this position or that position, like what Van Dijk does for Liverpool. That and there was one big reason why we struggled every single time teams attacked us, and they were they weren't just the bigger teams like uh, City, Liverpool. Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, or Arsenal, it was against the lower sides as well. We struggle against Brighton, we struggle, struggle against West Ham in that 3-1 game, we struggle against just about every single team. And and as, as I just said, it's not about quality, it's about having that temperament as well. And Maguire has that temperament. He's shown that Leicester, he's, he, he almost leads the side into being a better team sometimes, although they've got better players. But he is one of those players who gave Leicester the foundation and, and gave the forward players the assurance that they can play with freedom and not worry about what's happening at the back. And he is just one of those players who comes in and will play at not just a, a team that likes to play possession-based football. He can play in any system because of his presence, of his sheer presence. And he, although he did play a bit of that possession-based football under Brendan Rodgers last season towards the end of it, and even does that for England under Gareth Southgate. But I think he can play an, under any system you, you want, at, at, even at a club that wants to play a style that Burnley play, direct way uh, of football, even Crystal Palace play. And although we need a player who, who, who knows how to back, Maguire will be key in anything we do. And, and, and also that uh, Van Bissaka thing, uh, as I just said previously, when we were talking about the better signings this, this this summer, he was he was I think he was dribbled past just once. There was Sane against against City at the Etihad, and the rest of the times he probably just looked unbeatable. Sometimes, and even in the preseason friendlies that I watched, he whenever United have played uh, Van Bissaka, he conceded, we conceded just twice, and that was that was last night against Milan. Before that, we never conceded a single goal whenever Van Bissaka was playing on that side. He tackles, he runs forward with the ball. He might not be the best going forward. He doesn't really promise you too many assists like someone like Luke Shaw does or what Ben Chilwell does at Leicester or what sometimes Danny Rose does at Spurs as well and what the likes of uh, Alexander Arnold and Robertson do. But he, he, he... And I think one more crucial thing that I think United might have thought of Although I don't really believe believe that the United board would have thought about all of this, but it kind of makes sense that they usually accuse Harry Maguire of not, of not being fast enough, that he can't catch forwards when they're running in behind and he's slow to get back. But Juan Bissaka is one of those players who will help us when Maguire can't, back, can't get back in time. He's got the recovery pace to do that. And, and also because Juan Bissaka is, is very astute defensively, 
we can often try to play Van Bissak as a third center back. And Solskjaer tried, tried playing a 3-4-3 and a 3-5-2 formation a lot of times last season. He constantly tries to experiment with formations. And I think whenever the, this, this period comes, Van Bissaka will play right centre-back. And he sort of has done that in the preseason friendlies, although he has, he has most of the times played, played as a right-back or a right-wing-back. But we can also use him as a third centre-back, who are more of that marauding centre-back who can play the ball forward and have Bio Godalo playing a right-wing-back. Right so in all... In all the senses in the world, I think this really makes sense and it will really help us get top four. Especially because Arsenal are not... I don't see them getting a centre-back. Mm. So, yeah, I think we, they, we the, the both of them will be massive in getting us to top four. All right. Uh, just in a yes-or-no format, is Paul Pogba a Manchester United player come match week one? Yes, I think so. Although I okay. don't want him to stay. I've, okay. had, I've, I've sort of just given up on him. <laughs> yeah. All right, just curious to, to, yeah, to kind of get your opinion on that. All right, Jamie, coming to you now. Um, we've we've already had one segment this summer, kind of talking about the incoming of Jay Rodriguez. Now it sounds like there might be some outgoings. Well, one already happened, as you mentioned, with Tom Heaton departing. Uh, allegedly, Tarkovsky is on the list of potential uh, replacements for Maguire at Leicester, as all of this continues to be interwoven. Uh, are you concerned about uh, potential outgoings if it was Tarkovsky with Heaton already out the door? Are you still looking to buy? Where do you think Burnley are at at the moment? Um, I'm personally not worried. I can't do anything about it, can I? So, not much point. Maybe Don't sell yourself worried. short, man. Um, <laughs> apparently, Tarkovsky's got release calls and his contract's at £50 million. So, if Leicester want him fifty million pounds enough, they can have him really because that's a very very high price. Um, obviously, Maguire's moved the market on, just like Van Dijk moved the market on, and, and I think we've seen a recalibration of of what defenders and last season it was goalkeepers, wasn't it? Goalkeepers were suddenly very expensive. This summer it seems to be defenders, um, and obviously once one happens as a chain, Leicester have to buy someone. Um, it looks like Brighton have already tried to buy a replacement for Dunk if if they decide if Leicester decide Dunk's the one. Um, it would be destabilising. There's no point pretending otherwise. But the flip side is there's not that much Burnley could have done about it. Um, we're not the sort of club that could have gone out and bought a twenty million pound defender like Brighton have done, just in case. You know we have to wait and then react. Um, it would be a shame if Tarkovsky went. But the business side of the deal is that it cost us a very, very small fraction of that. It was three and a half million or something really, really small. So the clubs like Burnley, it's obviously not ideal that it's the last week of the window when we're talking about this. And he sat out the game at the weekend with what was described as a niggle, which always gets fans going. But yeah, it might just be his time. Leicester would be a good move for him, I think. Sort of club that we've talked about trying to push on and getting out top six. Um, I think if I was Man United, I might have just thought, well, hang on a minute, if Harry Maguire's 80 million, all these players who are apparently good enough to replace Harry Maguire, why don't we just buy one of those and save ourselves a load of money? Um, but yeah, maybe I'm just not as clever as Ed Woodward. Who knows? Um <laughs> So, yeah, it's a waiting game for us, really. Um, it doesn't sound like there's 
there's a huge amount of money to spend. It sounds very much like it will be sell to buy this week. Um, the heat and money has obviously come in and added a small amount to the budget. Not that you can really do that much with eight million pound these days. We've replaced him with Bailey Peacock Farrell, who's presumably just going to come and play a developmental role. So all summer it's been a case of sort of one in. One out, we've replaced Stephen Ward at left back with Eric Peters. Jay Rodriguez effectively replaces Sam Volts, who left in January, and Peter Crouch, who came in as a stopgap. So we've not really added to the squad, which I wouldn't say it's concerning. I think this was the summer where I think we should have been pushing on. We obviously had a bit of a scare last season with playing in the Europa League. We didn't really manage it very well, start the season badly, had to turn it around at Christmas. So... It felt to me like this was a chance to maybe clear out some more deadwood. I'm surprised that players like Naki Wells and Matty Vidra who aren't going to play this season. I'm surprised that they're still here. Um and hopefully they'll there'll be solutions to them in the next few days because at the minute we're just carrying their, their wages and that means that we can't bring in players who are going to contribute. So I think it could be a case of a couple going out. There's some talk that Excuse me, some talk over Calvin Phillips at Leeds. Leeds seem to be one of the only clubs that we feel like we can do business with them and Stoke. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's possible that Calvin Phillips could be a target. I think he'd be a good signing position central midfield where we are a bit weak. We need an addition, ideally. Um, so that, that could be something that happens in the next week. But I think the squad is, is reasonably strong at the minute. I think it was... Quite telling that the two other lads haven't picked out Birmingham on the teams to go down. We don't seem to be in pre-season predictions as relegation fodder. I think there's an expectation that with us not in the Europa League this season that we will be more solid. We've had a proper pre-season rather than trying to fit in these European trips in midweek. So, yeah, I think it's maybe just a missed opportunity that we've not seen it as an opportunity to to really add to the squad this summer. Interesting stuff, and I do. I would expect you to bounce back a fair bit um, after a disappointing campaign last year that started so excitingly with, with as you mentioned, the European journey. But yeah, I, I would definitely expect you to kind of stabilize, um, despite perhaps not too many additions. But again, still a week left. Uh, kind of in that vein, since we just touched on it with you, uh, we'll kind of loop back around to Jake. Uh, Newcastle have already made fair few signings. That's why we had a segment already this week. As soon as we hung up, you said there was more interest in bringing in more players. What do you think Newcastle will look like come the end of the window? I don't think it's going to change massively. I think there might be one or two players that come in. Um, I think they want to do that. Um, I think a right back is probably needed and we might bring in a loan from another Premier League club. Um, but yeah, I think it's mainly going to be focused on players going out. I think we need to, to sell a few bit of the Deadwood um, I think Javi Mankio was mentioned as a player that might go out, and I wouldn't be against that if we sign a right back. Uh, we probably need to get rid of, uh, we might get rid of Dwight Gale, uh, although Steve Bruce seems to quite a big fan of him. I think if a championship play, club came in, we'd probably sell him. Uh, and I think there's a, there's a few more that we, we probably need to get rid of as well, that, um, that people like Ashraf Lazar, who's never really played for us. Uh, Rolanda Ahrens is one we might we might get rid of, although he's been featuring a bit in pre-season. Uh, Kieran Clark is another one that might go. So, yeah, I think we, we're going to try and get rid of a few players because I think we are over our 25-man squad. But there will probably be one or two more coming as well, uh, especially uh, I'd expect a right-back, although I'm not sure who that will be. But I think... If you know, if you think about the loss of Rondon, 
and Perez. We've now signed Joel Linton and St. Maximin. Two very talented players, but there's obviously a huge risk to signing them. Um, it, it would have been a safer bet to go with Rondon, but I couldn't kind of see the logic. No other club went into Ron- for Rondon, so it, it's a, probably a case that his wages were, were too much for a player of his age. Uh, likely to get worse. Um, I, I can understand the hesitation on Joel in terms of he's, he's going to he looks like he's going to be a good fit. I think his underlying numbers, uh, stats-wise, are a lot better than his goals and assists record. Um, and, and generally, the reports from Brazil and Germany are that he's very, very talented and he's very well suited to the English game. So I think he's probably going to do fine. Um, maybe not Max Rondon's output, but I think he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I, I, I think our score probably, if we do make another couple of additions, it, I think it's, there's potential for the squad to be stronger uh, if signings come in and hit the ground running but if not we probably are weaker and if you look at who we've got in the dugout compared to last season we are definitely weaker so it it's going to be interesting but I think that, that the club have probably done the absolute minimum to get us back to where we should be going into the season in terms of, of the signings we've now made but yeah I think we still need one or two more and I think we'll probably get that um, in some form and and, and if the uh, Manchester United stuff is true about um, Bruno Fernandes, I'm reading that he's not on the list of targets uh, coming out from the BBC. Yeah. They yes. might go back. <laughs> they might go back. They might try and get Sean Longstaff, who I think is a f- who Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is a fan of, which would be interesting if they did, because I think he's he's going to be set for a huge season when Newcastle if he stayed. I think he's so talented. So he, keeping him is probably one of our top agendas. Can hopefully we do that. Yeah, it's a pretty easy segue, as, as good as you're ever going to get into business there. Any interest in Sean Longstaff or, or any other potential incomings? No, I'm not sure, because because although they've said that we've dropped interest in both Bruno Fernandes and uh, Dybala, I think it's, as I said before the show started, that it could be it could well be a, a tactic, a negotiation tactic to make sure that, because to make sure that Sporting reduce their asking price for Fernandes and Make sure that Dybala's agent and the image rights guys they they don't ask as much as say forty million or whatever the fee was to for us to get him. As it's, I think we can't really give up on both of them. Edward is not that stupid, although I know he is pretty stupid, but he can't really be that um, stupid to do such a thing at at a point where they're, they're talking about stadium protest and all that. And and he's someone who always likes to silence all of this these storms by bringing in a marquee signing and also because we, we really need a midfield player although I think Dybala will obviously be a luxury signing a priority should have been Fernandez over Dybala because a lot of times last season we uh, we every single time the teams uh, drop deeper into their own half we lack someone who could pick a final pass and we've seen that Soja has played a 4-2-3-1 shave with Pogba playing a deeper role than usual. We need someone to play just behind the striker or as an attacking midfield player to thread those passes past the pack defences, to open up their defences and create more chances, clear-cut chances. And like we played against City last season at Old Trafford, we played pretty well. We had a lot of energy in the play, but we never really had the end product to it, not the final pass against Barcelona at home against uh, Arsenal away from home, we always had this problem. But Bruno Fernandes is someone who would have solved that problem. Uh, but in the end, I really see that we have dropped interest in both of them. And as far as Sean Longstaff is concerned, I really like him. But 
the, the, the price that Newcastle reportedly quoted from him was about 40 or 50 million pounds. I, re, I really fear for it if, if we just go for a panic buy and give away 40 or 50 million pounds for Sean Longstaff. Don't know the disrespect to how good he might be. But he's not really the sort of player we're looking for right now. We're looking for a more uh, number 10 player who can thread the passes through, more like Bruno Fernandes. Not exactly like Dybala, but I really love Dybala. Although I think uh, we'll probably just end up signing Mario Mandzukic because it seems as though we've probably agreed a 10 to 15 million euros fee for him. And I absolutely love that man because he is a lot of, a lot like what Zlatan was. He He's almost like a glue, sticks all the players together. He's a proper leader, brings a lot of work rate to the plate. And for a fan base that's always been very much frustrated by lack of effort from players, he's someone who will bring massive energy to the side. He'll, he'll make sure that uh, whenever we say 1-0 down in half, at half-time, even if he's not playing, he's back in the dressing room, he'll lift, this, he'll lift the spirits up and make sure that we're waiting to go and we're ready to beat the opposition, and, and especially in the knockout games, where, where it's a necessity to win. And that's when a character like Mandzukic uh, becomes really important. Gotcha. Well, we'll see who walks through the door. Uh, Jamie, we already touched on, on transfers in your round-the-table portion, uh, but what position would you say Burnley most need to fill in order to reach the targets this season? Uh, obviously, if Tarkovsky leaves, we'll need a new centre-back. Uh, there's been some talk in the press about Gary Cale, which is possibly just former player is available and free. Added all that up to equals move to Burnley. Um, but similarly, it wouldn't surprise me. It would seem like a relatively easy one to get done at short notice. Um, but it's central midfield for me, an area where we haven't really invested for some time. Uh, the players that we've got in there are sort of solid performers, but not players that you would expect to be link with other Premier League clubs are not performing at a level that's going to get them noticed by anyone else. Um, Ashley Westwood had a very good season last year. It's talk that he could be named club captain after Tom Heaton left, but I think he's still an obvious, I won't say weak link, but if we were to upgrade a player in the team, I think he'd be an obvious one to start with. Um, Jack Cork, I really like, but again, I think he's a player that we could probably get better than. Stephen DeFore sounds like he's going to miss the start of the season with injury again. So um, we just can't rely on DeFore, which mm. is a real shame because when he's been fit, he's been a revelation, really. The start of the the season before last, when we were flying, it was DeFore who was at the centre of everything, really orchestrating our play. Um, so he sort of really took us on to a new level. But we just, we just can't expect him to ever be fit. And realistically, if Stephen DeFore wasn't injury-prone, would he have ever been at Burnley in the first place? Probably not. So you take the rough with the smooth with a deal like that. But I think it does mean that we need to to look at a player in that position. That's why it doesn't really surprise me that Calvin Phillips is a name that's come up. Um, obviously, he's quite versatile. He played at the back at times last season. Bielsa seems to prefer him as a centre-back. So that versatility could be, could come in useful for us as well. If Tarkovsky did go, he'd give us that option to play at the back or in midfield. Uh, it seems to be good on the ball defensive-minded player, so he can sit in front of the back four as well. He seems like he'd be a good fit. Whether or not Leeds are willing to do business at a reasonable fee remains to be seen on that one, but I think he'd be a solid addition. And 
certainly the position that if we can only sign one player, um, I'd want it to be a central midfielder this week, definitely. Cool. Well, let's hope you get your wish there uh, in the final days of the window. Uh, all right, then we will quickly wrap up with match previews. I realize we're running a bit long. We had a lot to get to after a long summer, of course. Uh, we'll start off with you, Jamie. Uh, Burnley versus Southampton opening match. We get to talk about actual football. Uh, what do you think we'll see in this one? Uh, yeah, well, I think I've read that the last two times we played Southampton, it's been nil-nil. So probably be last on match of the day i'd say um, yeah i think it's a, it's a good game so, for us to have first up i think southampton is the sort of team that will probably finish around us in the table so it's a good game to start off with at home jay rodriguez against all clubs so he's going to be motivated jay rodriguez coming home first home appearance and he's coming back so yeah it should be a good game hopefully um and better than the last couple of meetings that we've had with them fingers crossed we can get off to a winning start because start of last season with the europa league stuff it was just terrible and we we really need to to kick on better than that this time yeah, and hopefully you will be able to do that. And Southampton did improve a lot in the second half of last season, but they have some pieces they'll need yeah, to integrate. Good, they are a good team, but I think if we were looking at the, the fixture list at the start of the season, Southampton at home is the sort of game that we'd look at as one that we should try and win. Yeah, yeah, and we will obviously see uh, if you do so. Uh, next up, we'll go to Jake talking Newcastle versus Arsenal, kind of the opposite of what Jamie was saying, probably not the fixture that you wanted to start the season with, but you are at home. Uh, Arsenal obviously will have to gel in and bet in all of these new players that they've been signing. Well, I suppose only two of them. The other one is still in France this year. Uh, what do you make of this match for Newcastle? Uh, yeah, we normally start against one of the top six. And if, if you were into conspiracies about fixtures, it probably makes sense because it's a good one to have on TV. But it, it seems to happen every year, so it, it's too much to be a coincidence now. But yeah, home against Arsenal will be fun. Um, I think it's probably... You know, Arsenal are terrible away from home. They've got a couple of injuries. Their defence is still a joke. So in that sense, you could maybe see some positives. I think we're probably going to be a little bit more offensive in games like this this season, which is probably going to lead to a few more big defeats. But yeah, it might work out occasionally uh see how it goes i think it's going to be an interesting one to see what happens with the stadium i'm not sure there's been planned boycotts for this one but normally they turn out to be nothing and, and they're quite embarrassing really so hopefully that's some there's a noticeable impact on that because i think that the, the club is still being run poorly so there needs to be sort of action but it probably won't turn out to be much um but that might happen. That's interesting to keep an eye out on. Uh, yeah, I think it's you know, it's difficult to see us get anything from it, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, it's, I think it's going to be a difficult start to the season. And I think it might be away from home that, that we do better, just because I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be a great place to play uh, at St. James Park this season. So yeah, I, I think Arsenal probably probably have enough to, to get a win. But you never know. Arsenal could it could turn out to, you know, could turn up and, and show the form they did towards the end of last season away from home. They've, you know, Pepe is not, is by no means guaranteed to to dominate from the off. It might, he might take a bit of adjusting time, so that might be a positive. Um, and our players, you know, it's, they might see it as an opportunity to, to prove themselves. Which see, 
but it's beside these talented young players that often only did well when we were on TV. So maybe, maybe that's going to happen again now. I don't know. But mm. yeah, I'm not too optimistic. I reckon we're going to lose. But it, it, you know, it, I, if there's any top six team that you'd want to play um, and you'd fancy yourself of, of, of having a chance, it's probably Arsenal, um, especially at home. So yeah, we've got a chance, but I, I think they'll probably win. Well, I'm certainly in your corner heading into that one. And then we'll wrap up with cause. Uh, obviously, the kind of headline match of the weekend will be Manchester United versus Chelsea. I assume that Maguire will be in and playing by then. Like you mentioned, Mombasaka already been getting some solid runouts in the preseason. So it seems like you'll be relatively settled come match week one. Do you think you can overturn Frank Lampard in his first match as Chelsea manager? Yeah, I think I'm pretty optimistic about getting a positive result because, and I think a lot of it depends on um, whoever, whether we get a signing or not in the last four or five days. Although it won't really um, impact what I feel about the team, but as a whole, it will have an impact on what the people feel about uh, the the game and the team because it, it does have an impact on uh, the game at Old Trafford Field. And that will decide the tempo and the feeling around the, the around the stadium. And but I still think that we've got more than enough to beat Chelsea at this point. And and one one reason for optimism will be having Maguire because I think Solskjaer confirmed yesterday that um, Maguire will be in contention to play, and we'll see Lindelof and Maguire start off at centre back. And and um, although sometimes I do think that we've got a championship like midfield with. Pereira there and uh, Matic probably not good enough nowadays. And although I like Scott McTominay, but we need a better player there. Not instead of him, a better player playing at number 10. But apart from Maguire and Lindelof playing at centre back, um, we'll go Van Bissaka on the right and then Shaw the left. Um, I won't really start Matic in these games. I've, I don't really trust him. I don't think Soja trusts him these days. And last night against Milan, he was at false for was at fault for that first goal. He 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 never really knows who's around him. He's lost the pace, and I think McTominay will start for Matic and then Pogba in midfield in that four-two-three-one. Then Lingard behind the behind the striker who strike will probably be Martial and then Rashford on the left and then Daniel James on the right. And I think we'll probably win this. All right, well, we just have a week left till football, so we don't have to wait too much longer, thankfully. But that will be the end of the show for today. So, guys, why don't you tell folks where people can find you or anything you're working on? Yeah, thanks for listening. You can get me on Twitter, uh, JakeJackMove2Ns. Jack, I post anything I do up there, so check that out. Um, and obviously check out the championship show on this channel where there was football this weekend. Hi, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at, as cause underscore under 17. I recently started off and get uh, French football news, so watch out for that. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley and the Premier League and various other people for Romney Sport. You can get my stuff on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my fantasy writings over at ESPN and my non-fantasy writings alongside Jamie at Omnisport as well. Uh, thanks to you guys so much for coming on. It was a real pleasure uh, ahead of the new season. Best of luck to all your teams. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.